All right, hey, we've made it to chapter 19 as we are trekking our way through that book of 2 Samuel. And we'll see tonight, eventually, we'll see King David returning to Jerusalem to reign as the true king where he belongs in Jerusalem. We'll eventually get there, but first off, we pick up King David, not traveling and returning and crossing the Jordan yet, first we see him in the same posture we left him with last week, in a state of heavy grief, mourning, he's beside himself and heartbroken. That's where we see him starting this chapter. And if you weren't here or need a little reminder why he's heartbroken, let me just remind you, King David had a son, in my opinion, his favorite son, Absalom. Remember, he was a pretty boy, said that there was nobody as handsome as Absalom in the whole land, that from the sole of his foot to the top of his head did not have one blemish, that he had flowing locks, that when he cut his hair once a year, it weighed about five pounds. This was a specimen. The problem with Absalom was he was pretty on the outside, but he was really a rebel, a rejecter of God and a rejecter of his father and king, David. He ends up being a usurper. He got to the point in his life where he wanted to displace his father as king of Israel. And you remember back in chapter 15, he sat at the city gate lobbying for that power. And it says there that he eventually won over the people to the point where he led a great rebellion, the Absalom Rebellion, a real insurrection of the power of his king, dad, so, so effectively that it really drove King David out of Jerusalem, usurped him. He became the king of Israel. They called him King Absalom. David, as we saw, sadly left the city of Jerusalem and left it for Absalom. Well, last week, if you were here, it was great Great battle. Remember the great battle that took place? So now you have King David and King Absalom, right? Both having armies. I mean, just imagine for a second. Your rebel son and your dad are going to go to battle. And if you were here last week, you saw David. He mustered up some men, got a really powerful. He knew he had the numbers got some men together and sent them to battle against his rebel son. And as they went out to battle, he told their generals to go easy on his son. Do you remember that? Go easy on the young Absalom. It's my son. Win the battle, but go easy on Absalom. Well, if you remember the story, David's army routed Great victory for King David's army and Joab, his commander. They routed all of Absalom's forces. 
to the point where they were all running away. And Absalom grabbed a donkey and he ran away and he ducked under an oak tree but caught his flowing locks on the branches, remember? And he hung there. The donkey kept going. He was hanging by his hair from an oak tree. Joab had about enough of the rebellion and the hurt and the pain and the division that Absalom had caused the nation. And he drove some javelins through his heart, killed him there, disobeying his king David, and killed Absalom. Message goes back to David. At the end of last week, chapter 18, the messenger gets back to David and he he tells him, your son's dead. And we won the battle. You should be happy, David. And this is how 18 ends. It says this. This is David. Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom. Would I have died instead of you, O Absalom, my son, my son? So David is, he's, he's weeping because his son just died. And I think for a moment when I read stories of old, these ancient stories, so far removed from the culture, so far removed from, could you imagine this situation right here? where you had to go to battle against your own son, literally, and the object of the battle was to kill each other. Serious business, and him grieving is very understandable for me. And any of us who have had loved ones, in my opinion, loved ones that have gone astray, rebels, there's nothing more heartbreaking for a parent to have a rebel son. You're always, always, or a loved one, a spouse, a sibling, but especially a child that's going the wrong way because you always have this hope that the prodigal will come back, that they'll turn and change and not reject the Lord, that they would come to them senses and go, God's good. I'm wrong. I'm going the wrong direction. It's the saddest part when the rebel dies. It's still his son, and now his son is out of time. He made his choice. He rejected God. That's a sad moment for a parent, amen? So I am very understanding about David. He's heartbroken because his rebel son is getting no more chances, and he's done, and he died, and so his posture is very down. We pick it up in verse 1. That's where we pick up David. Oh, Absalom, my son, I wish I would have died instead of you. In verse nine, uh, chapter 19, verse 1, it was told Joab, behold, the king is weeping and mourning for Absalom. So the victory that day was turned into mourning for all the people. For the people heard that day, the king is grieving for his son. And the people stole into the city that day as people steal in who are ashamed when they flee in battle. The king covered his face. And the king cried with a loud voice, Oh, my son Absalom, oh, Absalom, my son, my son. And I entitled this four verses. (laughs) It's really the effect of David grieving is that leaders lead. Now, listen, what I mean by that is we're all leaders in a certain way. We're all in charge of certain things. 
And have you ever noticed in that group that you're leading, the temperature of the room, the culture of your business, the mood of your family is set by the leader? Do you know that? It's very sobering because when I'm grumpy, guess what? My wife gets grumpy, right? When I'm happy, my wife's happy. When your business, when you're stressed out and you're putting pressure on your employees, guess what? They're stressed out. People use this word culture. I love the culture of that business or that school or that sports organization. That's what they're talking about. There's leaders there that are setting pace. And here's the deal. David's grief bled over to the nation, his community. And that was not right. They had just won. They had just won a great battle. They had just defeated evil. They had just preserved what was rightly theirs, what God promised them. And listen, those people sacrificed a lot to be there. The emotional posture of David bled over. It says here, they who were supposed to be victorious are now ashamed He turned victory into defeat, celebration into shame in the streets. That's not right. They just won a great battle. They're supposed to be rejoicing. Now they're ashamed. Good job, David. Not a good leader. Not good. And thank goodness, in the next couple of verses, Joab heard this. The leader of his military, the guy that was a little bit emotionally detached from Absalom, He was the enemy to Joab. Check it out. He rebukes David and gets David to wake up and be a good leader and change the culture of the shame. Check it out. Then Joab, verse 5, came into the house to the king and said, You have today covered with shame the faces of all your servants who have this day saved your life. And the lives of your sons and your daughters and the lives of your wives and your concubines. Because you love those who hate you and hate those who love you. For you have made it clear today that the commanders and the servants are nothing to you. For today I know that if Absalom were alive and all of us were dead today, then you would be pleased. Now therefore arise and go out And speak kindly to your servants. For I swear by the Lord, if you do not go out, not a man will stay with you this night. And this will be worse for you than all the evil that has come upon you from your youth until now. Joab's bold, bold. He rebukes David. In those days, even if you were the commander of the military, you were very careful around kings. Bold men speak up when something's not right. He said, listen, this is not right. These people who just fought for you, bled for you, do you think they did not lose loved ones in this battle? This was a big battle. I'm sure the people who lost their brother in the battle, their sons in the battle, were looking at David covering his face in public crying for his rebel son, going, what about my son? Was my sacrifice worth nothing? 
and it brought shame to their family, changed the whole mood. It turned everybody into mourning. That's not right, Job would say. It's one thing, Job would say, to cover your face in private and mourn for your son, which we all understand. It's another to go out in public and change the whole mood of the nation. Snap out of it, David. You're a leader. Get out there right now. Get out. Put your face out there and encourage the people or they're all going to leave you. It's great advice. Bold advice. David, snap out of it. What you are doing is not right. They were expecting a victory parade and you gave them a pity party. What about them and what they did for you and your wives and your sons? They preserved your whole kingdom and now you're shaming them. Good rebuke by Joab. Good men speak up. It's not very popular now. Something to think about. Something's not right. Yes, speak it in grace and in truth, but speak up. That wasn't right. Joab spoke up. And the second part of that, as you'll see in these next two verses, do you want to see how David responded to the rebuking? Check it out. Verse 8. Then the king arose, <laughs> took his seat in the gate, and the people were all told, Behold, the king is sitting at the gate, and all the people came before the king. And I'm sure he spoke soft words to them and encouraging words to them. Thank you for your sacrifice. David received Job's rebuke and wisely listened and acted on it. That's a good leader. This is the David I'm starting to like again. He was able to take some rebuking. He didn't take his ball and go home. He didn't demand that he was above Joab. He listened and wisely acted on it. It's a wise man. This, when I read this the first time, it made me second guess myself on how, um, you know the leaders that are over us? Sometimes you think they're a bunch of jokers. And let's just be honest, on both sides they kind of are, right? Can I get an amen? <laughs> Politics is a silly thing. But we're to pray for them. And one of the reasons we pray for them is they deal with stuff that we know nothing about. They have to get up and get places that they don't want to be. And they have to eat a lot of things because they're the leader of the people. And that deserves respect, and it, and it also deserves prayer. David here, do you think he wanted to go sit in the city gate and put his smile on? But like a true professional leader, he went out and put his needs aside and spoke encouraging words in the city gate. The same city gate where his rebel son sat and won the people. Remember in chapter 15? said that he undermined David in the city gate for four years before he led the revolt. That same gate, now they see the true king, not undercutting, but validating his kingdom and his kingship. Amen? So it deserves a little respect. David now is snapped out of it. He's the leader that they need and they deserve. And he's back and he's going to start heading 
on his way back to where he belongs. He's going to cross the Jordan and he's going to go to Jerusalem and rule as the true unified king of Israel again. That's where he's heading. But before he gets there and on his way there, people were arguing and people were bickering. The people weren't in agreement on what just happened and what's going to happen. Let's read it. It's important to know this because next week we will see it's not all good in the hood, right? There's going to be a rumble, another rumble. And although it seems like David won this battle, he's on his way, he's unifying. It's a very fragile unification. The people were arguing. Check it out in verse Eight, the end of verse 8 here, starting in verse 9, we'll see David returning to Jerusalem and the people fighting and bickering. Check it out. Now Israel had fled, every man to his own home. And all the people were arguing throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, the king, meaning David, delivered us from the hand of our enemies and saved us from the hand of the Philistines. And now he has fled out of the land from Absalom. But now Absalom, whom we anointed over us, is dead in battle. Now, therefore, why do you say nothing about bringing the king back? So the, the people are arguing because they're in a conundrum. I mean, think about this. Absalom won the people. All the people wanted Absalom. They didn't want David anymore. He won him over. And that's how he won the rebellion. That's how he got David to leave Jerusalem in the first place. Now they're, now they're saying, hey, arguing throughout all the tribes going, hang on. David's, D D David helped us. He, he beat the Philistines. He set us up. But then Absalom ran him out of town. And we anointed Absalom. We made Absalom the king. But now Absalom's dead. Maybe we backed the wrong horse, guys. What do we do? Do we welcome the real king back? Should we unify with our brothers? And should we welcome his house back? The king David and his family, should we welcome him back? Or, or are we afraid that he will have retribution on us? Because, you know, back in those days, I mean, think about it. David has a right to be mad at these people. They double-crossed him. He lost the people. And now the people don't know what to do. We backed a horse that's now dead. What a conundrum that is. Don't you think? What do we do? Well, in verse 11, King David hears this arguing. Hears this, especially down in Judah. He's like, hey, I hear these guys. They don't know. They think I'm going to pay them back. I'm not... I want this thing to be unified. Check it out in verse 11. It says, And King David sent this message to Zadok and Abathar the priest. He wanted to tell them this. Say to the elders of Judah, Why should you be the last to bring the king back to his house when the word of all Israel has come to the king? You are my brothers. You are my bone and my flesh. Why then should you be the last to bring back the king? And say to Amasa, are you not my bone and my flesh? God, do so to me and more also if you are not commander of my army now. From now on in place of Joab. And he swayed the heart of all the men of Judah 
as one man, so that they sent word to the king, return both you and all your servants. So the king came back to the Jordan, and Judah came to Gilgal to meet the king and bring the king over the Jordan. So David heard the bickering. Israel, the northern tribes, have not quite agreed. Judah wasn't coming on board to unify this nation and accept and re-anoint David as the true king. And so David heard this, and he sent a message through the priests and told them, listen, remember me? Do you remember where I'm from? I'm David from the tribe of Judah. I'm from Judah. You're my flesh and bone, or bone and flesh, as they say, right? I'm your family. Don't you remember when I was in hiding from Saul after Saul died? Do you remember when I came up and wanted to take my kingship? Do you remember the very first tribe that anointed him? Judah. Remember me? I'm your brother. I'm one of you guys. Don't be afraid of, repu- of, of me paying you back. It's said here that he also politically makes a very good move, a very smart move. David's a pretty, a pretty good king, and he knows how to lead people when he gets on his game. He said, tell Amasa. Do you remember who Amasa was? Amasa was the leader of Absalom's army. So just days earlier, you had Joab leading David's army against Amasa leading Absalom's army, and the collision happened, and Joab won, and David won. Amasa is the defeated military leader of Absalom's army. Happens to be from Judah. He says this, you tell Amasa that now he's my leader of the military instead of Joab. What? Wow. That sweetens the pot a little bit, don't you think? Your military general is now going to lead the army. Joab, maybe for punishment for killing his son, probably. (laughs) Disobeying his order, probably. But he makes a calculation and gets them on board, both by appealing to their brotherhood And also, he hires their general. So much that he swayed them for true. Judah was unified. It's said here that in verse 14, that he swayed the heart of all the men of Judah as one man. They all were with David. And they went down to Gilgal to meet him. And they were going to take him across the Jordan to walk into Jerusalem and say, this is the king. And we're with you 100%. Israel, the northern tribe, still a little shaky. I want to, because the people were arguing, I want to talk about the last two or three verses of this chapter because I think it goes with the people arguing, proving a point that we don't have true unification yet. So we'll skip to verse 41, or the end of verse 40. It says, all the people of Judah and also half the people of Israel. That's key right there. 
Judah was all in as one man. Only half of Israel was on board and brought the king on his way. Then all the men of Israel came to the king and said to the king, Why have our brothers, the men of Judah, stolen you away and brought the king and his household over the Jordan and all of David's men with him? All the men of Judah answered the men of Israel, saying, Because the king is our close relative, why then are you angry over this matter? Have we eaten at all at the king's expense? Or has he given us any gift? And the men of Israel answered the men of Judah. And they said this, we have 10 shares in this king. (laughs) And in David, also we have more than you. Why did you despise us? Were we not the first to speak of bringing back our king? But the words of the men of Judah were fiercer than the words of the men of Israel. That's not unification at all. When they actually got together and were heading to Jerusalem and trying to bring the king back into reigning power, the, Is- the Israel tribes, 10 of them, that's why they said, we have, 10, we have 10 shares of this king. You only have two. You just got Judah and Benjamin. We have 10 other 12 tribes of the unified nation. Why'd you bring him down here? Why'd you steal him from us? We were going to anoint him first. You guys were the ones that were holdouts. They said, we haven't taken anything from him. He's our flesh and blood. And they were fighting with their words. They were arguing. The, The words of the men of Judah were fiercer than the words of the men of Israel. We'll pick this up next week. But that's a lead-in to chapter 20. King David was grieving, right? He snapped out of it. He starts to head to Jerusalem, a proper leader. He gets a fragile unification, all of Judah, but only half of Israel crosses the Jordan, and he's heading to to Jerusalem. The king returns on his way. You will see in the remaining verses, he encounters Jerusalem. Three people. And they're really three lives that are changed. And they're three very familiar characters that we've seen up to this point. But I want to point them out to you because we find them in the last verses. The first one we see is Shimei. And Shimei needs forgiveness. He does. The second one we'll see is Mephibosheth. And you remember him? We're going to see him showing loyalty to King David, which is good. And then finally, at the end, we're going to see Brazile. And we're going to see him confronting his mortality and and being gracious. So let's check it out. Verse 16. David is going to pardon all these people. He's going to act kingly to these people. Check it out here. The first character he runs into is Shimei. And Shimei, the son of Gera, the Benjamite from Behurim, hurried to come down with the men of Judah to meet King David. And with him were a thousand men from Benjamin. And Ziba, the servant of the house of Saul, with his 15 sons and his 20 servants, rushed down to the Jordan before the king. And they crossed the ford to bring over the king's household 
and to do his pleasure. And Shimei, the son of Girah, fell down before the king as he was about to cross the Jordan. And he said to the king, let not my Lord hold me guilty or remember how your servant did wrong on the day my Lord, the king, left Jerusalem. Do not let the king take to heart, for your servant knows that I have sinned. Therefore, behold, I have come this day, the first of all the houses of Joseph, to come down to meet my lord, the king. Abishai, the son of Zerah, answered, Shall not Shimei be put to death for this? Because he cursed the Lord's anointed. But David said, What have I do with you, you sons of Zerah? that you should say this day, be as an adversary to me. Shall anyone be put to death in Israel this day? For do I not know that I am the day, I am this day king over Israel? And the king said to Shimei, you shall not die. And the king gave him his oath. So Shimei, if you remember him, I think back in chapter 16, when David had to get out of Israel, when the rebellion happened, when Absalom took the reins of Israel, the people shouted his name as the king. Do you remember the sad exodus of David and his people out of the city? How sad it was? Remember that? He looked back one last time. He's leaving, defeated by his rebel son. And do you remember he ran into one man that didn't treat him very good. It was Shimei, the Benjamite. He was from the, the household of Saul. He was a relative of Saul. And do you remember what he said in chapter 16? He's like, you're a scoundrel. You're a dirty, rotten guy. You're a worthless man. He was chiding him all the way out of the city. Do you remember that? Shimei. He's like, See, now Saul's household will reign again. You, you hurt my, my granddad. You hurt my dad. You're, you're a worthless scoundrel, you bloodthirsty David. And he just kept cursing him all the way out of the town. But now the winds have changed. Absalom's out of power. David's the only reigning king. So Shimei, I don't know how sincere he was, but I do know this. He was contrite. I don't know how sincere, but he ran down the first one of them all to meet King David. And he said, David, I sinned against you. Don't remember what I did to you. I'm sorry I sinned against you. Said that he fell down before the king. Contrite. Don't hold me guilty. I have sinned against you. Shimei needed forgiveness. He asked David for forgiveness. And if you caught it, David pardons him, gives him clemency. Right? You shall not die. I'm the king. No one's dying today. I'm the new king. There's a new sheriff. I'm back in town. No one's dying. I give you an oath. Shimei, I pardon you. By Israel, Jewish law, if you curse the anointed, that's why Abishai is like, let's just lop his head off. He cursed us. He got forgiveness. Amen? I don't know. 
maybe, maybe. <laughs> it reminds me of maybe, just maybe. Give me a little latitude here, okay? I don't want to allegorize this to death, but maybe we're all shimmy eyes. Maybe. We all willfully sin. There was a time in our life where we cursed our king. We were at an entity with him. But yet, if we confess and have a contrite heart, we turn from our ways and ask for forgiveness, what happens to us? He's righteous and just to forgive us. Amen? 1 John 1, 9. If, that's the operative word, if, if we confess our sins, he is righteous and just to forgive us our sins and of our righteousness. Amen? He needed forgiveness and he got it. He treated David poorly, disrespected him, but he owned it. I don't know how how authentic it was, but he bowed before the king and asked for clemency. And like any good king, he gave it to him. Amen? That's Shimei. He needed forgiveness. David offered it. Check out the next person we run into. It's Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth, the son of Saul, came down to meet the king. And he had neither taken care of his feet, nor trimmed his beard, nor washed his clothes from the day the king departed unto the day he came back safely. And when he came to Jerusalem to meet the king, the king said to him, Why did not you go with me, Mephibosheth? He answered, My lord, O king, my servant, my servant deceived me. For your servant said to him, I will saddle a donkey for myself, that I may ride on it and go with the king. For your servant is lame. And he has slandered your servant to my lord, the king. But my lord, the king, is like the angel of God. Do therefore what seems good to you. For all my father's house were but men doomed to death before my lord, the king. But you set your servant among those who eat at your table. What further right have I than to cry to the king? And the king said to him, Why speak any more of your affairs? I have decided. You and Ziba shall divide the land. And Mephibosheth said to the king, Oh, let him take it all, since my lord the king has come safely home. So Mephibosheth, as you know, is actually the, the son of Jonathan, who is the son of Saul. And do you remember he was lame? And do you remember the oath that Jonathan and David had? If, if either of us die, we're going to take care of our families. And you remember back a few chapters ago, do you remember David honored that when Jonathan died? He took his lame son, Mephibosheth, and gave him all of the lands of Saul and treated him not like a person who was lesser than the king's son. He let him eat at the king's table. Do you remember how, how beautiful that story was? That Paul, I mean, that, <laughs> that David treated him so graciously. He said, no, you're eating with the king. You're, you're, you're going to be on the king's table. You're not living in some scrappy land. You get all your granddaddy's stuff. It's all you, Mephibosheth. But do you remember when 
David, again, in that trail of tears, when he had to leave Jerusalem, when Absalom took power and he's leaving, he ran into certain people. And one person he ran into was Ziba. Ziba was, was, was the servant of the household of Saul. He, he, was, he took care of Mephibosheth. He was in charge of the lands. He was lame. And when David ran into Ziba, when he left, he said, where's Mephibosheth? Where's the guy that I let eat at my table? Where's the guy that I treated so gracious? Where is he? And do you remember what Ziba said? Anybody remember? Oh, he stayed because he's going to stick with Absalom, which was not true. As Mephibosheth said, he said, listen, I was heading to go with Ziba. I was, he was going to get a donkey because I'm lame and I was going to follow him there and meet you there, but he left without me. The lame guy couldn't catch up. So he lied to him. And do you remember what David did? David gave, he said, Mephibosheth didn't come. Ziba, you get all the land now. Everything that I gave Mephibosheth, you got. So Mephibosheth lost everything because of a lie that Ziba told him. Crazy, huh? And so Mephibosheth pleads his case. He says this. And by the way, it said that he wasn't kept, like his toenails were long. He had, he, it was like he was like uh, on a, like a, a hygiene strike because he was like, for solidarity purposes, <laughs> he, was, he was on strike. He was unkept and unclean. He was like, David, look at me, man. I, I wanted to go with you, but I got tricked. And David says, you know what? I'll just, you guys split the land. I don't even care anymore. Just split it. And remember what Mephibosheth said? He said, just give it all to Ziba. I don't even care. What I care about is you're the king again because you're a good man. And you treated me so graciously. It's a great exchange. Mephibosheth gives great respect. He shows loyalty, which is a commodity very rare nowadays. The list of people that are loyal to you is probably, if you really counted it, very short when it all hits the fan. Have you noticed that? To have a loyal person in your life, it's priceless. I was impressed by Mephibosheth's response. You, you can keep it all. You're the king. You're a good king. I'm going to be treated good. Amen? That should be our response. Mephibosheth showed loyalty. David showed understanding. And he let it go and compromised between the two. I like it. The last man that we'll face today is Brazile. He was a Gileite, verse 31. He had come down from Rogalim, and he went to the king to Jordan to escort him over the Jordan River into Jerusalem. And he was a very aged man, 80 years old. He had provided the king with food while he stayed at Mahanaim. For he was a very wealthy man. And the king said to Brazile, come over with me, and I will provide for you with me in Jerusalem. But Brazilier said to the king, how many years have I still to live that I should go up with the king to Jerusalem? I am this day 80 years old. Can I discern what is pleasant and what is not? Can your servant taste 
what he eats or what he drinks? Can I still listen to the voice of a singing man or a singing woman? Why then should your servant be added burden to the Lord, the king? Your servant will not, will go a little way over the Jordan with the king. Why should the king repay me with such a reward? Please let your servant return that I may die in my own city near the grave of my father and my mother. But here is your servant, Shimham. Let him go over with my lord, the king, and do for him whatever seems good to you. And the king answered, Shimham shall go over with me, and I will do for him whatever seems good to you. And all that you desire of me, I will do for you. Then all the people went over to the Jordan, and the king went over, and the king kissed Brazile and blessed him. And he returned to his own home. Brazile confronts his own mortality. Did you catch it? <laughs> I'm 80. If you remember Brazile, he treated David really good. When he was on that trail of tears, when he was in need, do you remember he brought him food for his army and brought him food and comfort and encouraged David? He treated David really good good on his worst day of his life, getting exiled. And David wanted to repay him. So he said, Brazile, when he ran into him, he said, Brazile, come with me. I'm going to set you up in Jerusalem, man. You were so nice to me. I want to repay you. And the old man says, I'm 80. I can't even smell or taste anymore, David. How many more years do I have to live? Just let me go die where my mother and my father died. <laughs> I'm so old. I can't even taste what I eat or I drink. I can't even hear women and men singing anymore. Wow. I love that. Because listen, he comes to term with his own mortality. He knows intellectually he's, he's dimmed, right? His senses are dulled. His ambition is deadened. And the capacity for change has long departed him, right? He's done. He is used up, and that's what life will do to you, right? He's used up. He's saying, David, listen, I'm facing the facts here. Here's the deal. I don't have the zest of life anymore. Life has robbed me of this desire to want to conquer things right now. My powers wore out. Just let me go die in peace. Young people, if there are any in here, <laughs> it's worth considering the wisdom of old people. It's at least worth considering your own mortality for a second. It's going to happen to all of us. We're going to get old. And that's not necessarily bad. But what life can do is it can slowly rob you of some of those things that you had all this zest for. Like young people, we think that's never going to go away. That power will never fade. And you want young people to look upward a little bit to those older people and go, Some, I'm going to be a tempered version of myself someday. Look at these people. Right? Look at them. Not be, I don't want my son to look like that to calm him down or to stop zesting for life. Because I, I love that about young people. It's partly what keeps me young, is looking at the energy and the zest. I want them to look that way, and they have a hard time doing this. 
parents and grandparents, you see this. It's frustrating. Look at it for this reason. They understand that all this stuff is fading away. The stuff that you think is so cool because it's novel, making a few bucks, right? Some of this stuff, it loses its appeal when you get old. It does. When you get older, you see wisdom, people taking their time doing stuff, people investing in eternal things. Old people know that time is short and that the things like things we eat, the things we spend our money on, all that stuff is going to go away very soon. So they're better at young people at investing in the eternal, the things that don't fade. I want my son to look at older people and the way that they value eternal things. Right? The things that don't fade, don't die, like the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, God and his word, putting others before self, taking your time with the relationships that God put in front of your face. Amen? Grandpas are really good at this. They can touch young people because they get that message. I may be slower. I may not. I may not be able to do what I used to do, but I can do the eternal things better than I used to do. Amen? That's the power of a grandpa and a grandma, right? Or an aunt or an older sister, right? That's the power. See, because what you see there, if he didn't catch it, is he didn't want anything for himself because that time for change, he was done. It, he was like, David, I, I don't need these things. Let me go die and have honor to die in the family, uh, where I'm from, in the family cemetery. But you know, will you take my son? Will you take him and give him everything you wanted to give me? Isn't that a heart of a father? Isn't that heart of a grandfather? What you, it's a beautiful picture, if you, if you noticed it. An old man saying, no, I was gracious to you at a, because I wanted to be gracious to you. I don't need to be repaid. But if you want to be gracious back to me, why don't you take my son? Why don't you take my son? And the picture, if you saw it, it was an old man going back home, not taking anything, and his son going with the king and being blessed. Is that not a picture we all can embrace? Isn't that what we all want? Isn't that what wisdom and age, isn't that what a good parent wants? Just wants their kids and their grandkids to do better than they did? They want to get more than anything to go with the king? <laughs> it's a great picture. Amen? So, that's chapter 19. Right? We had a grieving king. We had people arguing, and we had the encounter of three people. Next week's going to be a little different, but remember, the people were arguing, and that'll set you up for next week, okay? <laughs> Father, thank you so much for your people and for your word. We thank you for bringing us all here together safely. I pray that you would bless your people today, and that you'd have been honored in this place as you are in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys.